0: Welcome to Frictionless Marketing, an exploration of how modern marketers are building their brands, reaching their audiences, and thriving in this post-advertising world. Lynn Blashford is the chief marketing officer of White Castle, a company she's been with for over a decade. Despite being over 100 years old, White Castle has remained relevant in popular culture. The brand is known for its fun and originality, with collaborations with the Wu-Tang Clan, selling branded silk robes to customers, and even officiating actual weddings in its restaurants. All a testament to their commitment to outrageous authenticity. On this episode of Frictionless Marketing, Lynn delves into the inner workings of White Castle's marketing and communications processes, discussing how they continually surprise and delight their fans, known as cravers, and the requirement for marketing teams to spend time working in their restaurants and factories and the thinking behind it. Here is White Castle CMO Lynn Blashford in conversation with Lippy Taylor CEO Paul Dyer.
1: Hi, Lynn. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Looking forward to speaking with you.
2: Hi, Paul. Appreciate the time. Anytime we can chat about uh, the great brand of White Castle, we appreciate the opportunity.
1: Well, I mean, let's start there, right? It is a great brand. White Castle is literally the first burger chain in America. It's over a hundred-year-old brand. Um, I mean, I, I suppose some people could see that as being um, in many ways, a hindrance, right, to today's sort of um, obsession with what's new and cool. And yet, um, White Castle seems to instead be like a fun, edgy, kind of cool brand. So, so how do you balance the heritage with being cool and edgy?
2: <laughs> well, from the standpoint of just the first fast food hamburger chain is something that we are proud of having basically pioneered an industry. Uh, But there's the element of taking forward that nostalgia that people really love today, uh, but making sure that you're always expressing it in a very contemporary fashion. So that is a fine line we walk, we just figure out, you know, where do we lean into the the history and the heritage, which comes across as very authentic, but do continuously fun and and updated uh, ways to share that story.
1: So let's talk a little about the actual persona. I think there's so many different directions we can go with White Castle, your fan base and the brand and the history and all this, but the, the persona, because in particular, as we look at lots of different industries and talk to people from lots of different industries on this show, um, fast food seems to be one that has really embraced personality between Burger King, McDonald's, Wendy's obviously on Twitter, et cetera as something you know that the industry broadly has embraced personality for the brand. Um, can you talk about what is the personality of White Castle and how do you differentiate from other quick service or fast food restaurants?
2: I think it starts a lot. And we're talking about the restaurant side of our business, which is 102 years uh, young, we like to think we defy age (laughs) numbers quite a bit. Uh, And then we for 35 years have actually also been in the frozen food section with our food product line in the grocery that's sold, you know, in retail coast to coast. So a lot of the personality emanates from the castle and the experience that people have had with it through generations. So a lot of that equates to a lot of fun. You know, uh, there's a lot of late night activity, uh, 24 hour business that really gives you a lot of fodder for some fun uh, that our customers have had through the years. We find our cravers, you know, introduce next generations to the business through the restaurant and creating a lot of moments. A lot of that stems from the fact that we're Family owned and operated still. Our current president is the fourth generation. It was her great grandfather that started White Castle in Wichita, Kansas in uh, 1921. So I think the family culture begins there, uh, and then how we convey that through the experiences that our customers have had with the brand over the years. So fun, unpretentious, very um, authentic. You know, we don't take ourselves too seriously. And we look for ways to fit into, you know, moments in people's lives.
1: So there's lots of things that words people have used to talk about your customers, your fans. Uh, some have even called it a cult. Um, you know, that, that there are some people that really love White Castle. Um, first of all, I mean, I, I'd love to just hear you talk about because you, you have called them customers and you have called them fans. Is there a difference between the two there?
2: Well, we affectionately call them cravers.
1: Cravers, yeah. I'm sorry. So now we, <laughs> it's
2: another one. <laughs> that's okay. Um, but language matters a lot to a brand. And I think that is something else that we, especially th- with our marketing team, that we always are teaching, you know, the language, the fact that in 1994, we came up with the tagline, you know, what you crave, which came from a customer sitting in a focus group saying, I don't know, I can't describe it. It's just what you crave. Uh, That, you know, and now that word has been pretty much co opted for a lot of things, even beyond food products. But it's uh, language that we continue to make sure we always incorporate into our copy and into our creative. So, our cravers are, uh, I think, the epitome of the passion that they show around the brand and the experience. Uh, And, you know, you can't always equate loyalty to, um, frequency. So one of the components that we talk a lot about with our cravers is the measure of loyalty and the love for the brand. It not, it's not necessarily in the frequency. There was a famous movie about a quest to get to White Castle. A lot of our really deep, passionate fans, uh, don't live near White Castle and they look forward to a visit, you know, back to Chicago to visit family. And the first thing they do when they get off the plane Is make a trip through the drive through or get a Crave case of sliders to take home to the family. That's worked well for us and really even spawned our frozen food division uh, because people were taking Crave cases, packing them up in the restaurants and asking and wanting to drive them across country. So we had to figure out a way to make them and sell them in the grocery store. So we do just love. The fact that we have a legion of fans that you know will put tattoos on, get married in White Castle. Uh, We've been doing that. Valentine's Day is another great example. You know, since it's right around the corner. It is a castle. It makes sense. Uh, That you know, for this is our thirty-second year taking reservations in the castle, and uh, we find that you know a lot of other chains will copy that or have similar experiences but we like to do things first uh be original with it and if that bodes well for a lot of the you know the cravers and the passion that they have they mm-hmm. love to experience it novel in different ways
1: so i mean it's it's a great asset it's something that you obviously nurtured from a marketing perspective as well as a product perspective and you know etc um but you've also been quoted you know, elsewhere saying that you don't want to really just focus on the cravers, you know, be limited to sort of your, your strongest um, brand ambassadors, that you are you know, for appealing to a wider audience. Uh, and sometimes it feels like those two things can be at odds with one another. Um, so how do you go about finding that balance?
2: Yeah, you're, you're right. We've not always embraced the word cult Um, Because that is a narrow, that represents something that might be narrow and niche. And from a business model, uh, that can give you limitations. So we have to look for ways that we harness the power that comes with that element of the brand. And then take it to something that becomes inviting to others. So that they may be curious about, well, what is this that everybody is so passionate about, you know, which I need to try it. So there does become this element of people that go to White Castle for and just make their their trek because it's on a bucket list. Um, you know, the the grocery and the CPG product is very much something that we need to make sure our marketing strategy is something that is appealing to broad shoppers and not thought of. As uh, a niche product, so you've got to learn to harness some of that cult-like, you know, um, power, but make it approachable uh, in a manner so that you can really appeal to broad audiences.
1: So I got to tell you, of, of all the people listening who may also be in, you know, the, the restaurant hospitality business, where they're all trying to figure out how do we make this more frictionless and people can just do everything on the app and just, you know, we'll throw the food at them out the window. For you to say that people have it on their bucket list to come to your restaurants, that's got to be a little envy-inducing.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I do think the movie even helped with that, that, you know, where this 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 big quest <laughs> to get to a White Castle it created this intrigue around the brand. Uh, but it also had to be around the product. So if I think if we tasted... And made our product like any other burger, and there's lots of great burger chains out there. You know, it might detract from the uniqueness of the brand, but because they're really, is not. If you're getting a White Castle in the taste of the steam grilled onions on the griddle with this, you know, the soft signature bun, which by the way, uh, we have our own verticals. We make our own meat patties and we make our own bakery buns. There's a, it's it's a very unique and distinguishable prop distinguishable product too. So I think that goes hand in hand with some of that experience.
1: So I'm curious, how much of that, is that something that's been part of the history forever or you guys have gone to that more recently or was that a start from the, you know, a decision from the beginning to make it a vertically integrated business? Uh,
2: in the very beginning, it wasn't like in the twenties and thirties because we were really grinding meat in the castle. We were to make the patties. We were, probably think of us as actually the first kind of burger smashed on a griddle. Uh, Our founder invented the industrial spatula because he needed something at the time, right? Ground meatballs smashed on a griddle. So it wasn't until around the 40s and 50s that we went to actually the frozen patty. uh, And I think it was in the 50s and created the holes in the patty in a way that we could steam grill the burger, the beef patty and the bun at the same time without flipping it. Um, And it was our second uh, generation uh, family member and third family and third generation that actually went to vertically integrate uh, the brand because from a business model standpoint, if you, you are your own supplier, that helps with the margins, you can control that element of the supply chain and you can control that quality. That was the other piece that was very important to us, quality and consistency that you get the same product everywhere. And that then translated over to the frozen sliders in the grocery store because we actually send our beef patties and our buns from the bakery to the frozen food plants of which we have three different ones that cook it just like they do in the castles but on a bigger obviously industrial size kind of equipment Uh, steam grill them there and then you know flash freeze them for groceries
1: Well, that's, and you know, as you're talking and you have this like deep understanding of how it all happened over time, um, I'm sure, you know, most marketers, of course, are onboarded into the history of their company. But you do have a a unique depth, you know, especially in today's market, where I think the, the latest data I saw is the CMO seat turns over every two years or less, right? You're in your third year as CMO, if I'm not mistaken, and like, uh, 10 years or so in marketing roles at the company. So it's what's your a secret? Over, to, a little
2: over 12. A <laughs> little over 12. <laughs> yeah.
1: See? All right. So what's your, what's your secret to, you know, like, I don't know, like, growth and making it, you know, work and finding the next opportunity without needing to leave to go somewhere for it?
2: it I think it's part of the family culture that's been created here. We have a lot of the fourth generation family members who are leading in different roles within the organization, our chief people officer, um, our, our manager of community uh, involvement, our CEO. We have a, um, our head of manufacturing, our chief manufacturing officer are all family members and they work really hard to make sure that that emanates throughout the organization uh, we as leaders then, meet, you know, do very much the same way as we in, embrace and build our departments and all work together very collaboratively. And we just try to create a fun environment where people are growing and learning, even if there's not an enormous amount of, of um, progression, right? In a big company like a P&G, you can move from one brand to another. You know, White Castle being family owned and operated, we're a little smaller, From that perspective and don't have as big a team, so we really need to make sure we're creating a fun and engaging environment uh, where everybody can really develop and and feel. uh, You know feel good about being here and and Mm -hmm. we're happy to say we made actually a great places to work for the second year in a row and that's been what something we've been working towards for for a while.
1: Well, congratulations. And at a time when it's probably more hotly contested than you know ever before after the recent labor shortage and the pandemic and everything else. So Yeah. Um, OK, so I have to ask, um, was it a family member or an outside partner or just a crazy shower moment where you guys decided where was the inspiration to work with the Wu-Tang Clan
2: <laughs> Uh, well, that was came to us through our partnership with Impossible Foods. So Impossible Foods, you know, obviously, well known plant based uh, meat tasting, you know, beef tasting product was looking to go beyond they were already in some fast casual and casual dining restaurants. And they the vision of the CEO there is really to bring this product to the masses uh, and make it more part of everyday life and not be a you know, burger in a fast casual place. And our CMO at the time started talking to the impossible foods folks and said, you know, if we want to move fast, we don't franchise. So we're all company owned locations. We can do some testing for you. How do we make the price? And when you think about trying a product, what's easier to try than something that's slider size, a smaller portion. So the investment is, is not a barrier to trial so, we um, tested it in Detroit, New York, and New Jersey. Uh, but we said we need to, you know, we're a small company, so we have small marketing budgets, Impossible Foods. What can you do to help us with the campaign? And they're the ones that actually brought the Wu Tang clan to us. They're, I believe, some members of their group that were vegetarians and already big fans of Impossible. So, they Again, ways to look for uh, authentic partners. That is something that we very much as a parameter whenever we do anything, whether it's an influencer or somebody in our commercials or whatever we do in our advertising, have to be people that already embrace the brand, brand our cravers possibly. And in Wu Tang, because they grew up uh, in New York, we're big fans of White Castle growing up, and we're also fans of Impossible as they move to change some of their eating patterns. So they worked with the creative teams to come up with these Wu-Tang in space and all kinds of other fun (laughs) executions around that campaign. That was very fun. So
1: is it accurate to say that you were both the first uh, hamburger chain as well as the first plant-based hamburger chain?
2: We were the first, and we made sure this was an exclusive for at least six months when we worked with them. Um, They had bigger goals in mind beyond us, so we couldn't say but we were the first fast food hamburger chain to launch the Impossible as a, uh, on the menu. And we wow. tested that first, then launched it system-wide and some of the other bigger chains and, and you know, came after us. So again, it goes back to being first. One of the benefits for that, that we are very purposeful about is when Impossible is then talked about in the press right, or in a media story, uh, many times we will get mentioned. Because of that. So there's a lot of, I guess, still, you know, uh, free press that happens when our name is associated with a story. Some other examples of that right now are the fact that we're testing Flippy 2.0, which is a MISO robotics uh, piece of equipment that we have at the Fryer. Clearly, that, you know, they have, I'm sure, growth goals that extend well beyond White Castle, but because we're very always anxious to come to the table, test and learn. We're very agile, all family owned. So it becomes nothing, you know, we don't have to deal with franchise ease to make decisions. So we can move very quickly and we like sharing the information and learning together. So right now, anytime there's an article out there on Fox business or whatever it may be, and they're talking about Miso Robotics, you know, we'll get named as a partner who's currently testing along with some of the other bigger players.
1: Well, that's great. And I already thought it was really cool that you had a robot, you know, flipping in your restaurants. So what I didn't know was that the robot had a name.
2: Oh yeah. So Flippy at the Fryer. So not to be confused with since we don't flip our burgers, right? right. Uh, Flippy at the Fryer is yeah, Flippy
1: 2.0. Got it. Okay. Very we exciting. Like,
2: I think again that goes back to part of the personality that we have in the brand. The AI that we're testing with MasterCard at the drive through the voice activated ordering. Uh, her name is Julia. So,
1: oh, so it's every, everything has a name, every innovation. Yes. <laughs> yes.
2: Well, the, and we tie it to some history because Julia was uh, some, a personality that was created in the 1940s to go out and talk to women's groups and civic groups and, and chamber of commerces and the community to talk about how it's okay to have ground beef and burgers as part of meal planning in the family and the home.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting when you think back historically, kind of the, the change management and societal perceptions that that would have required. Um, so let's let's stick on that topic for a, a quick second. You know, sort of the the women ambassadors. Um, you also co lead White Castle's Women's Food Service Forum, the WFF. Um, can you just talk about that initiative a little bit and and how you facilitate mentorship within the company and and.
2: The, so the Women's Food Service Forum, which is an independent group who I, I'm not sure how many decades they've been around, um, but it, the food service world was a very, very male-oriented organiza- you know, um, industry for a long, long time and was created in order to foster the growth and development of a lot of women in, in this industry. White Castle has been part of that attendance and the utilization of many of their tools for decades now. Uh, So it's just one of those pieces that as leaders in the company, we continue to embrace and then use that as mentorship for other uh, men and women in the organization. It's a uh, very much a leadership development kind of group at the annual conferences that they have. So it's for ways for us to take tools that are available to us outside of the organization, like the Women's Food Service Forum, like the ANA, the Association of National Advertisers, and how do we utilize all those external tools uh, for our teams, again, so that they're mm-hmm. developing and, and upskilling along the way.
1: You, you mentioned the ANA and you're obviously a member and an active um, uh, promoter you know, of the ANA and their tools. Um, you also mentioned earlier free press and earned media. These things are changing a lot right? Uh, kind of like year over year, day by day, the role of them and, and how they work together, you know, et cetera. Like, so, so what's your perspective on all of this change?
2: I tell you the breadth of what our marketing teams have to manage and understand today compared to, I've been doing this for a long time, but oh, it's just enormous. It really is enormous. So one of the components that I think we have had to get smarter at from a A leadership standpoint and strategic standpoint is how do we become this great curator of all this data that's coming to us like in every hour, every day, trends that are happening, the social media conversations, the media measurement. There's this enormous amount of data at our access now and different ways that we can deploy it that at the center of that has to be a marketer that can curate it in a way that makes sense and is meaningful for each brand Uh, and that is some of the hardest things to teach some people do you know process information organically in a way i think i've been fortunate that my brain works a little bit like that uh, that just ensuring that you're leveraging all of that across all different platforms and all different ways to reach your audiences and you know, to to grow your business is where marketing sits at the table now. And I am excited for our team to be part of that. But it does mean a lot of skill training and an understanding. And it's, it's not that you have to go deep on data science, but you have to understand how does that how to use some of that information or how to interpret the information. Uh, And those are pieces that what today's marketing teams are really challenged with?
1: Yeah, it's been it's been interesting to see the evolution quickly and how we think about things like attribution, brand lift studies, etc. That a few years ago seemed like the holy grail, and now we've, it's like they're completely in the you know the waste bin essentially. Um, so, uh, I guess I'm I'm curious to what extent does um, you know when you're thinking about measurement, how much does living it living the brand, seeing the impact, feeling it have to play into that versus nailing the formula and the, you know, the, um, getting the algorithm exactly right.
2: Yeah. So not to be too cliche, but it is a combination of art and science of that. We've all had to always deal with. We have to live the brand first because it's about uh, human nature. It's about, it's, data is informative but we do not ever want to be data directive we want to be data informed so Mm -hmm. walking the shopper aisle visiting the castles we actually everybody in the home office works in may which is national hamburger month so we go out and either work in a manufacturing plant or work in a castle you have to stay close to your consumers uh, to really live and breathe the brand and that's something that uh, even starting here in the home office, you have to do as part of your orientation. It's how you're again, best informed and engaged with the brand. So you can speak the truth and you can use that with um, making all, ensure all our agency partners, uh, they all go out and work in the castles in May too, or go to a manufacturing plant. And that's amazing. Yeah, because there, there are partners. That's the other piece. It's the way we treat each other and the way we treat our business partners uh, we are all engaged in the success of this company to make sure it makes that it lasts another hundred years.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, you know, the the number of briefs and ideas and plans we've all seen where you can look at it and go, well, this was made up in a New York conference room, <laughs> you know, um, to really get kind of on the ground level every single year like that. That's really smart. I don't I don't know that I've heard anybody else doing something like that um so all right so i know we only have a couple minutes left um first question is two two quick questions here one is what was your may last year and then the second is it's it's almost valentine's day can you tell us what's going to be happening at white castle for valentine's day
2: (laughs) so my may last year was working in a castle for breakfast i love cooking breakfast on the griddle the eggs we have bacon and sausage and it's sort of one of our we hate to say it's a best kept secret because we wish we had more advertising dollars to really be able to market all the day parts of our business uh, more frequently but we have a great breakfast slider Um, fresh eggs you know bacon sizzling so it's really fun to make people hungry right now (laughs) and that people don't think of that first for white castle so great breakfast great coffee uh that was my may And then what we have cooking for Valentine's Day is uh, reservations started, um, I think last, two two weeks ago. And this is the, I know I'm gonna get this wrong for our team, but I think it might be the fifth or sixth year that we're working with Open Table, which is an example to us of how do you take something that is a nostalgic kind of brand and bring it into a contemporary era. Well, we've been taking reservations, you know, this will be the 32nd year, used to be online on the phone uh, and we said, well, let's go to a digital partner. They thought we were crazy when we came to them, because as you can imagine, <laughs> Open Table does not take reservations for one times events, nor had they worked with any fast food company. Uh, so we said, well, we need to figure out how we do this so we can do it for one day. And by the way, open table will get 30,000 additional database, you know, additional mm-hmm. people for their database. So it was a real win-win for both of our partners. So reservations are open. We'll be bringing it back our uh, annual shrimp nibblers, which to make the the menu. So when the taking orders at the castle, the shrimp nibblers are back and we're bringing back sriracha shrimp nibblers too. So we try to make it fun by having some fun LTOs in the castle. And if you're not, and we have a love, love cube with some special packaging with a meal for two that you can eat at the castle or take home. And we also will be working with some influencers to show for great ways to celebrate at home with the uh, retail products that we have that you can microwave up and really fast, convenient, create a fun environment at home for Valentine's Day. And we call it the Love Castle and it comes around in February. A Love Castle. Yeah, we also have some fun. (laughs) We can send you some swag, but we've got some nice robes, silk robes that we're selling at the House of Crave. Uh, to go. Whoa, whoa, which that. is your swag
1: store, of course, for those who haven't that. been. The <laughs> House of Crave, you can buy White Castle Silk Robes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I do think, by the way, somewhat unintentionally, that last example, your Valentine's Day, the love castle, you know, uh, activation, kind of encapsulates three main themes throughout our conversation today, which were having fun, you know, with the personality of the brand and the work that you're doing, um, picking good partners that are going to be relevant, and then doing things that are going to resonate with your cravers. Because I do have to imagine Valentine's Day at White Castle is probably not a mass audience event. It's probably for the cravers.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, it is. But then if you think about the trends for today and the savvy consumer who is, and especially younger consumers, who are trying to buck the system of going out and spending $200 for dinner in a traditional, you know, very... So you're not doing a $200 way.
1: prefix at the Love Castle?
2: <laughs> not at all. You can come in and eat very affordably with your family, friends, partners, whoever they may be. And it's a very novel, fun experience. So, so we have people that come in that only on Valentine's Day. They may only visit us once a year and it's for Valentine's Day.
1: All right. Well, I'm texting my wife right now because we have plans.
2: <laughs> we'll be
1: at the Love Castle.
2: Well, I hope you do.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Lynn. It's been really nice speaking with you. We appreciate you sharing your time and your insights.
2: Thank
0: you very much, too. All right. Here as always are some key takeaways from this conversation with Lynn Blashford. Number one, create from within. A key element of White Castle's marketing is its slogan, what you crave. This phrase came from a customer focus group and ended up governing the majority of their marketing from their commercials to their endearing term for their customers or cravers. The organic origin of the slogan enabled it to be as effective as it is because it came from a place of authenticity. In this case, a truly passionate customer, instead of from an insular marketing brainstorm. Number two, merge authentic with outlandish. White Castle did a collaboration with the Wu-Tang Clan to promote their use of impossible patties. This feels like a random left-field idea, but in fact, it's the opposite. The Wu-Tang Clan grew up going to White Castle in New York and 8 out of the 10 members recently turned vegan, making this a very meaningful collaboration. With all of the seemingly random and outrageous marketing stunts brands are doing to gain attention in this post-advertising world, authenticity is a critical ingredient for effective campaigns that people remember. Number three, spend time making your own burgers. Everyone who works for White Castle's marketing team, including agency partners, has to spend time working either in one of their restaurants or in one of their manufacturing plants for their frozen food products. This is brilliant because it not only ensures a level of compassion and visibility for the manual workers, but it imbues each person with the brand from the ground up. As Lynn says, this enables all those who work with White Castle to truly speak the truth about the brand, which is what gives it its authenticity. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and to learn more about us, visit our website at lippytaylor.com. That's L-I-P-P-E T-A-Y-L-O-R.com. Thanks again for listening to Frictionless Marketing. Thank you for listening to Frictionless Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out Paul's best-selling book, Friction Fatigue, What the Failure of Advertising Means for Future-Focused Brands. In Friction Fatigue, Paul explains to readers why advertising is broken And provides a frictionless marketing framework to help build your brand in an era where advertising is no longer the answer. You'll learn how to protect your business against competitors and lead the pack with fresh marketing strategies that will help you prepare for a future where the consumer rules. Friction Fatigue is now available on Amazon and as a book on tape on audible.com. Thanks again for listening.